Hello, Harry. Hello, Maddie. Hey, welcome to Just Over the Fence, our podcast that we started last month because we are blessed to know lots of incredible people and just a chance to talk with them, have a backyard conversation. Yes, and call them friends. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to share them with you and get to know more about them ourselves. We're learning lots of new wonder facts about our friends. Especially during this strange time, it's kind of a way for us to find some joy and hopefully share some joy too. Right. I love stories. Hey, Harry, have you ever heard the phrase, ready, aim, fire? Ready, fire, aim. (laughs) Well, that is your style. (laughs) Just that quick. Although if that wasn't your style, I'm not sure we'd be doing this podcast. Well, at least something good came out of it. (laughs) I have a slightly different MO myself. (laughs) Is is ready? Now ready? Let's, now, now let's, ready? Let's, Wait. Let's think about this. <laughs> let's think this over. We're still readying. Yeah. Matt has a readying chair on both <laughs> levels of our condo. <laughs> this is true. Hey, our guest today is standing by and ready. And uh, he sent over a track that he recorded. Kerry Connor has a studio in his basement. He's a songwriter. Incredible studio. Like yeah. State of the art. Well, here, let's listen to a little bit of this. And uh, he sent this over. It's a tune he wrote here during the pandemic. Some nights last forever. Some nights just slip by. Some nights leave a mark upon our lives. Some nights give us answers. Most nights just ask why. Some nights here, some cut back nights. Some nights here, some cut back nights. Isn't that great? Some nights. It's a brand new track recorded by our guest today, Carrie Connor. And you are listening to Just Over the Fence. We will get into our conversation with Carrie in just a moment. We had started by asking him about a story he had told us about his dad's pizza place. Carrie grew up working there, and his father was in the service. The Air Force, yes. And uh, he was in the Air Force, had never tasted pizza. Nope. And he and some of his family were out at a pizza shop, and he loved it so much. He just bought the place. He bought the place. <laughs> Isn't that, talk about my style of ready, ready, just do it, you know? Ready. Why do we need the aiming part? Absolutely. Well, it's not all bad, but <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Go this, for it. This story ends well. Yeah, go for it. Yes. Yeah, Carrie and Julie are just incredible people, and I'm glad they're here with us today. Yeah. Just over the fence. Here we go. Carrie Connor, thank you for being here. It's great to be with y'all. Yeah. You grew up working in your dad's, it was a pizza shop, right? Yeah. Yeah. He had a couple things, had a, like a family restaurant deal and then had a, a, a pizza, one that was strictly pizza, pizza and chicken. So yeah, I, I grew up around that in Aurora. I was born at Fitzsimmons and uh, used to stack up, you know, wooden boxes to be tall enough to wash dishes in the window. <laughs> and he went on from there to... Other areas of business. Yeah, like, yeah. When I was in high school, I got more into real estate development. And then through a relationship that uh, my best friend in high school, and I was always over at the house because we were banging on things, making music. But uh, Scott Moser, well, now he's Cactus. Um, his dad um, 
and my dad became acquainted through our relationship, and they, and they became partners, and then they, uh, they did a series of developments, a bunch of uh, apartment complexes, the Western Slope and in town here. Talk about music. Where, where did, uh, what was the beginning of music for you? My parents, neither one of them were musicians. I mean, they loved music, but they, they weren't serious aficionados or anything, and, uh, and, no, and nobody played. My grandmother is very musical. She's got a great ear, and, and her brother was a piano tuner, and he played. And, and my granddad, too. I, it's funny what you learn about people after they're gone. But my grandfather, you know, he used to play all these old cowboy songs, things that I would just... <laughs> you know, I would love to have been a part of that. And I didn't even know he did that, you know. Discovered a photo long after, long after he had gone home uh, of he and his brother on top of Pike's Peak with their Harley Davidson in a sidecar. They, they took the Harley to the top of Pike's Peak in 1924. And, and, and that's, you know, I wish I'd have known that guy. <laughs> uh, he was really sick by the time I got to know him. And uh, so I didn't even know that there was hardly a musical component there. We were in, in Georgia. We used to go there every summer. That's where Dad's from. And we, and we were driving home in, uh, in Mississippi and had this car wreck. Took, rolled a car three times over a hill and uh, bounced out into this kudzu forest. And my mom's neck was a little messed up. We were all right, though, thankfully. But the people of this community, Pontotoc, Mississippi, just took us in. The ER doc who, who was treating my mom, he, uh, he was worried about my dad and my brother and I. And so he took us in <laughs> to their house. And we stayed at their house for a few days. And at that time, you know, we didn't do a lot of movies or certainly not. A, we would have never gone to a Beatles movie. But with, the, with those people in Pontotoc, Mississippi, uh, I went to see Help. And just hearing that song blow your head wide open even at a you know i was really young but uh that stuff uh something rattled deep inside me yeah you know we were recently talking about the fact that john lennon wrote that song what a deep song and he wasn't that old when he wrote it he was in his mid-20s i think it was 26 you know the thing about art it's funny you know light just kind of bursts out in unlikely places jackson brown wrote these days when he was 17 these days it's like the ultimate old man song you know full of regret and just all this pathos and he wrote it when he was 17 yeah wow. <laughs> incredible old soul yeah. yeah 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 so but Lennon was brilliant like that you know Lennon, John Lennon he just summed up huge huge ideas in tiny little hooks help all you need is love give peace a chance you know on and on that's it's a it's an amazing quality to, to distill things that far so you see help what was the line from that to making noise on instruments? I got a guitar for my ninth birthday and, uh, you know, played, kind of took lessons. Some didn't really click with that teacher. But then I, I started taking lessons from a guy who were, well, I was really learning. I was really learning. And then I met a couple guys in junior high school, and uh, they had some gear, and we'd start making noise in a basement. So that's really when it went from just uh, looking at a, piece of music or trying to bang something out or trying to learn the next thing to trying to make uh, something that made that thing rattle deep inside me that helped it when I first heard it. How important was it to, you said you got together and started banging around and right now that's not an option and there's all kinds of alternative options with various sorts of technology to get together with your friends, so to speak. But how important is it to be in the room as an artist? Well, formatively for me to be in, in a basement with a bunch of sweaty pre-adolescents who, you know, were just figuring out how to make something better than noise. Uh, you know, it was really important. I mean, it was in the end, I wouldn't trade that for the world. It was a kinder, gentler world. There were, were 
people, you know, I mean, I played my first gig when I was in ninth grade, and there were there were dances. You know, you could go out and play, and that was great. I I, I regret that very few people get to experience that kind of thing today. When did you uh, realize you wanted to make a career in music? I'm going to ask about Steve Taylor. I got to know Steve. Uh, well, I was in, in this band touring, and, and we were doing churches and, and, and universities and stuff like that, and, and did a concert at his dad's church here in town, up in North Glen. And then um, after I left that band, was around here, Steve started calling me to do recording work. And then one day I showed up to the studio, and instead of trying to write you know, straight, kind of vanilla kind of songs, he started writing songs that were more like him, you know, a little twisted, real smart, you know, um, this kind of post-punk, new wave kind of, quirky rock and roll things. The demos we did for that became a record. We did a lunchtime slot at this big thing and uh, got a record deal out of that. I, I recorded two records with him. It was good. And so we went from uh, from, from recording uh, average songs uh, to recording songs that started to have this character and this personality of, of Steve's, which is great. He's been really influential. And then the, the records we did, uh, you know, one was nominated for a Grammy. It was nice. It was nice to have it hit at a good time, you know, because it was it was different. We freaked people out. A Grammy, <laughs> just kind of threw yeah, that in meltdown. there. <laughs> the, the, Steve, Steve's second record with Steve Taylor and some band. It was it was nominated for a Grammy. We lost, but you know, I mean, we we didn't win. I'm not sure you're losing if you don't get the Grammy. But you're <laughs> exactly. <nominated. laughs> I think so. Was Cactus in that band? He was. And he was. Fortunately, I was able to drag him along, and, and, and my good friend Jim Waddell, who the three of us had played together in high school in bands, and so uh, I threw them all under that bus. Mm-hmm. I think I first heard your name before I met you because you spent a lot of years as a worship leader at Cherry Hills Community Church. How did you end up there and end up in that role? You know, I've always done music, like I said, uh, through high school and then college. Uh, I knew I wanted to do music, um, but, you know, it seemed like kind of a reckless proposition. So I went to DU and studied painting. That was my fallback plan. <laughs> that lasted a year, and then I quit to do music. And, okay. But but I was writing songs and doing stuff and doing a lot of solo stuff. And, uh, and in the process of that, I, uh, I had a meeting with this guy, Peter York, who was a, he was an A&R guy at Sparrow Records back then, which is EMI now. Your stuff's a little intellectual for the Christian market. Oh. A little, no, he said a little cerebral for the Christian market. Mm. Ooh, and I just ouch. said, did those words just come out of your mouth? <laughs> What, what are you talking about here? Uh, you know, th- th- and that really that really haunted me. I mean, later on, he wanted to publish some of my songs, but uh, maybe worry about the Christian market. Uh, after that, I went to to work at a church and working with high school and college students for a for a few years, and, and that was great. And still doing music. And some friends of mine uh, were recording a, a record, and they they asked me to produce this record, Dick and Marcia Schultz. And then, and they were at Cherry Hills. And about that time, they were deciding they wanted to ramp up and do a band thing. And and uh, Dick said, "Okay, well, we'll we can do that if you want to do a full on, you know, rock and roll band worship deal. Uh, we can do that. But but I want to have." carrying these other guys involved in the thing. And so that's when I went on staff at Cherry Hills. Came through the studio. (laughs) You told a story about taking a crew to Russia from Cherry Hills. Is that right? Do I remember that right? Yes. The the band that led worship at Cherry Hills uh, was invited by Youth for Christ back in 1991. Youth for Christ had this big program going on in Russia. They wanted to distribute a million Russian language Bibles throughout Russia. And it was a funny time in Russia, you know, it was Klasnos, the wall had come down just a couple of years before, and there was this loosening up and this loosening up, and then there was this clench back when the hardline communists 
tried to do a, a coup attempt. And that was in 1991 when we were scheduled to go over there for the big finale of this, uh, the, they called it the Moscow Project, Youth for Christ deal. And, uh, and they had a series of concerts planned for us. Um, and it was up in the air whether we were going to go because people had been, you know, protesters in the street were run over by tanks and they rolled that big tank up to that big white building and Boris Yeltsin walked out and went up on the tank. You know, it was, it was you know, it was a crazy time. We went and we were there the next week. And so there were still fresh flowers in the street and the memorials where these people had been killed. And they had a big celebration there all day. We did, we did a thing at Gorky Park. I think they brought out every piece of gear in Russia to show the Western, <laughs> like, like we were some big rock and roll band, you know. So in Gorky Park, it was this huge production thing. And then we went from there downtown and we got to somehow be part of this, this celebration. They, they were celebrating that, that they had stood up to the hardline communists. They, they were celebrating that change was going to keep changing, <laughs> that things were not going to revert. And uh, I don't know what they thought we had to do with that, but we got invited to do that. So they were, they were having these Russian bands and Russian folk singers, Russian stuff, and speakers all day long, uh, big production on the steps there. Because there was such quick change in and out, you know, they'd have like a, a metal band, and, and they would fake it, right? Because it takes too long to sound check and set up and all that stuff. Um, and they asked us to do a thing, and uh, we weren't going to, weren't willing to fake anything. So we did, we did an acapella thing with our drummer played drums, and we did an acapella thing. And then the rest of the time we were in Russia, we were recognized because you know it was across what is it nine time zones and four networks. They were all broadcast this thing, and uh, we were we were the ones who didn't fake it. <laughs> and uh, that kind of gave a credibility that we we kept hearing about the the two weeks we were there, and we heard about it you know on the plane going home. Even it was funny. So, yeah, it was a remarkable time to be there. Wow. We, uh, we played inside the Kremlin in the Palace of Congresses. You know, it's the Kremlin. You see pictures of it. You see Mission Impossible movies where they're trying to break in, right? Julie and I and the band and all these people who were with us, we, we, we showed our laminates. The bus driver showed his laminate and drove the bus in. And, and, and we went to the, in, inside the Kremlin and, you know, had this big state dinner and stuff like that. And then we played in the Palace of Congresses, which is this big state-of-the-art theater in that very room, less than 24 hours before we played there, they voted to disband the Soviet Union. <laughs> so we're in the 6,500-seat auditorium that, where history is just, you know, taking place, and uh, we were in there doing our thing, and it was it was exciting. It was an exciting time. You know, I was a Cold War kid. I used to sound the big yellow horn, and we'd line up and go out across the gravel and squat by the fence. And I remember asking my first grade teacher, what good is this going to do? Right. But, you know, I don't know. But we grew up in, in that kind of an environment. And so to be not just in Moscow or not in some Russian prison or these other places we went, but to be inside the Kremlin, it was pretty remarkable. It's pretty remarkable. I remember loading out, you know, and it was, it was late and dark and, and uh, we're, you know, kind of on the, on the backside of stuff watching the gear being loaded. And, uh, and you hear that click, 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 click of the... Uh, boots coming, you know, and it's the Russian soldiers. And in, in, in every spy movie or war movie I ever saw as a Cold War kid came back into my head, you know, and the guy's coming. I offered him gum, you know. <laughs> it was it, So that was really memorable because it was, uh, yeah, it was a weird place to be. <laughs> yeah, incredible moment for the world, but you were there. Well, that's the thing. This thing is happening. I'm thinking this is a blip, you know, on those, I'm a sucker for timelines, you know. And the, this is a blip on the historical timeline. Yeah, it's not even now, though. It was 91, so it's nobody remembers. But it was, it was a thing at the time. Yeah. How many songs do you think you've written in your life? 
I don't know. It depends what you call a song, you know. <laughs> I, I still play songs sometimes. I still value songs that I wrote when I was 19 and 20. You know, so they, they kind of pile up. You know, there's this whole body of worship material that I wrote when I was working at churches and had an, had an outlet for that. And other stuff that I've just always written, I don't know, <laughs> a lot. Yeah. A lot. Unfortunately, I keep doing it, and that's important to me. What keeps you doing it? Um... There's a real sense. I mean, it's it sounds really trite, but it's like well, that, that's what I do. <laughs> that's uh, that's what means the most to me. To um, just to be open uh, to to what might be out there, you know. It is kind of a cosmic process. There's a lot of craft. There's a lot of you know you have to sit down and do it and scribble and edit and do all that stuff. But to try to make room for inspiration is a. a well, that's everything. I, I want uh, I want the wind blowing through me, you know? I think it was Towns Van Zandt I saw an interview, and he said, well, I think he was talking about Poncho and Lefty, and he said he didn't really write it. He just kind of reached up and grabbed it out, right. out of the sky, and it, he happened to be the one who got to grab that song. Right, right. Towns uh, was good at grabbing them. <laughs> Better than most. You know, any songwriter would uh, would love to be blessed with the ability to just reach up and grab something that was there. Well, Carrie, I wonder if you would uh, if you'd do a song for us today. Certainly. September night and the crickets call. Moon hangs low like a silver ball. There's a warm wind rising down to the south, and the taste of you lingers in my mouth. Kisses sweet and kisses true. My kisses all belong to you. Are you lying so still, so fast asleep? And I'll watch you tangled in our sheets. Look, I stand here wide awake, sleep deprived for beauty's sake. Look, I just can't close my eyes. On the finest sight that I have ever seen To watch you sleep is better than my dreams How the moonlight dances on your skin Coyotes on the bluffs begin to morning hell at the autumn moon And I know the dawn will come too soon This open window brings the sounds The sights and smells that are all around But my whole world's inside this room it all begins and ends with you So I stand here wide awake 
sleep deprived for beauty's sake Oh, I just can't close my eyes On the finest sight that I have ever seen I know what you sleep is better than my dreams September night and the crickets call The oceans rise and the bright stars fall My whole world's inside this room It all begins and ends with you So I stand here wide awake Sleep deprived for beauty's sake Look, I just can't close my eyes On the finest sight that I have ever seen I know what you sleep is better than my dreams You know what you sleep is better in my dreams Wow Thank <laughs> you Beautiful Well, when did you grab that one out of the air? You know, it was a couple years ago It was an idea that uh, I, I like that song because it's You know, it's one moment It's It's this whole big idea but it's you know you know it happened in real time in one moment or it happens in real time over and over again so i just uh, had that kind of the first line and, and, and the vibe of it and it carried it around for a, a while before it and before the rest of it was available <laughs> who would you most want to just sit down with and just have a couple of hours and nobody ever knew about it nobody ever saw it that would fill your soul another artist hmm. you know it, it's it's writers that i'm most drawn to that I resonate most with. It would be amazing to spend time with Towns Van Zandt. Although you, you know, Towns is a complicated individual, and I know you never knew what you were going to get. But, uh, you know, from the same school, Guy Clark, you know, just somebody who seems just, he was so, uh, such a great, great writer, so passionate and so, uh, so, so wise about the way he did things. And I know you, we've spoken of your father and, and you and Julie are parents, and you have incredible children, two incredible children, and they're both married and grandkids. And Five of them. So mm. how has that musical gifting flowed onward to the next generation? Well, my son Trevor, is a, he's a, a brilliant guitar player. He's really good. He, he left here on the day my daughter got married. Trevor took off and went to the west, western slope. He had, I think, 11 guitars and three amps and... A little room for his girlfriend and, <laughs> and went to LA, you know, and, and, and played in a band out there for several years and I mean, uh, met some guys and struggling with that whole deal. Uh, he, he's a, a fine, fine player and singer. Done a lot of worship leading as well. Um, my daughter Lauren, she's a, she doesn't play or sing. She's a great appreciator of music. She's always had a real sophisticated ear for that and she's in the business. Her husband works for AEG and, you know, the, uh, AEG presents, so you know, very in touch with the uh, the business end of of, of music. Uh, 
their their son Roman, he's very musical. He, he plays guitar. Really, I mean, he's eight and he plays brilliantly. I mean, he he's really really good. And uh, and he and he hears, you know, even several years ago, he was down in my studio and he, you know, used to come down and mess around with stuff. And you know, I'd set up a thing and he played the keyboard, you know. So I put on a track that I'd recorded. And and in the chorus there was this part where a, a shaker came and he was like three. So he's sitting at the keyboard and just you know, kind of banging noises. And then the the chorus hit and. Uh, and he hears that shaker, and he, and he just goes like that, you know. So I gave him an egg, and he started shaking. And he, but he, he hears things, uh, and he, he did from an early age. Trevor was like that, too. I remember when he was really young one time, him telling me, I really like the kick pattern in that song. <laughs> oh, proud daddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah right? no doubt. <laughs> He's in touch with the yeah. thump. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so who knows what will happen with the others. Uh, my other grandchildren are younger. But. Let me ask a few just kind of random questions. What are you reading right now? I have a bunch of things going. I'm reading this, uh, what's his name? Lewis Hyde. Yeah, Lewis Hyde. Uh, it's called The Gift. It's a, a, a thing about creativity, about um, being an artist in a modern world, which was written over 25 years ago. But, you know, uh, that that's interesting. I, I heard Bruce Coburn talk about it, so of course I <laughs> I ordered that right up. So I'm, I'm about a third of the way through that, I think. Some things I just go back to all the time. I have a Robert Fitzgerald translation of the Odyssey that I am always reading to some degree or another. I read a lot, you know. I like to read some of the Haiti stuff. I'm always reading some Richard Rohr things, stuff to chew on. But I also like just tearing through mysteries and and thrillers and spy novels. Daniel Silva wrote this series about uh, an Israeli spy. That I mean, he just writes so well. And even you know the silly Jack Reacher books. That guy Lee Childs, he writes so well. And these goofy action books. I, I say goofy. I mean, I think they're great, but they're just, you know, it's a series. It's, it's money-making deal. All of them are optioned to movies and all this kind of stuff. So it kind of flies in the face of maybe my uh, ivory tower views of art, but I love it. <laughs> we knew that might be a question that you answered with great depth because I think when we had you over for dinner one time, weren't wasn't he reading 40 books in 40 days? Oh, it wasn't that many. I go, I go through streaks where I'll read a book a day, but it was... Yeah. Yeah, you know, Apple with iBooks, I started, you know, it only takes me five minutes to get my daily, to fulfill my daily requirement from Apple. I get a notification after five minutes of reading. I'm going, wow, I got to walk 10,000 steps, but I only have to read five minutes. But, you know, they gave a report about how many books I'd read so far that year or something. And it was, it was a bunch, it turned out. Maybe I harbored this fear of losing my language, right? Because I, I, it's it's so important to me, and it always has been. I think I need to I need to digest a lot of words. If I digest a lot of words, you know, maybe my facility with language and in wrapping uh, big ideas in little words will grow. Absolutely. So it's a workout for me. Tell me about somebody, someone who has been kindest to you in your life. I've been really blessed. I've been really loved in all my life. And it may seem like the obvious answer, but I think my mom is perhaps the kindest person I know. Uh, besides my wife, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm surrounded by kind, kind women who support and uh, nurture me always. Tell us about one of your happiest memories. It's hard to uh, um, put those things in a hierarchy for me. I flash a lot of times when I think about something. Um, well, they just flash in pictures, which they do for everybody. But I was thinking about that earlier today, and I thought, uh, I remembered a night in, in late November when uh, Julie and I had gone to Italy to visit our kids. They were over there doing uh, 
language school in, in Florence. And we were walking around Florence, and it was, uh, it was you know, they just hung the Christmas decorations. And, and just this night in the Piazza della de Repubblica, uh, you know, it was this gypsy band playing these buskers, and it was just, just kind of a magical night. Nothing special happened. It was just, it just kind of sparkles. That's right. What are you most grateful for in your life? I'm grateful to have been surrounded by love, my life, to be uh, chosen by love and carried by love, and and just uh, just surrounded by people who who love me. I'll say one thing I'm grateful about. One of many things I'm grateful about knowing you is getting to play music with you. And when I have had that chance, you exude joy when you play. Now, you're excellent at it, too, and I could go on about that, but one of my favorite things is the joy that comes out of you. Well, I don't have to fake that. That's, <laughs> you know, that's, and maybe that's part of what I love so much, is just the, the freedom to, to be able to release that or to, to do that without inhibition and just, uh, I, it is a very joyful experience for me, and, uh, or or sorrowful or whatever it is, but it's it's a it's always, I've never been in a position where I had to like fake it, whether performing or leading worship. It's all about being in that moment and 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 being real and authentic in that moment. And uh, that involves a lot of joy when I'm holding a guitar. Next question. You want to ask it? No. <laughs> Got me all nervous. <laughs> This yeah. is a big one. <laughs> this is a big one. <laughs> so, something, yeah. something, something you wish more people knew, a piece of wisdom that you would like to throw out in the world, throw out over the fence. Over the fence, I like that. Yeah. Uh, for instance, uh, we did an interview with my father the last time he visited. He's gone on home now, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we said, what would you want your great-great-grandchildren to know, Dad? And he, he paused for quite some time, and then he said that there's good in the bad, and there's bad in the good. Hmm. And at the time, I was kind of disappointed with that answer. <laughs> that's all you got? That's it? It's like, wait a minute. But now we say that quite a bit around the house. It's funny how it's, it's taking a big idea and distilling it down to help or <laughs> the good and the bad and the bad and the good. Or, you know, I remember Rodney King and the LA riots years ago. Can't we all just get along? <laughs> First of all, that's the stupidest thing I've heard. And I'm thinking, eh, that's, that's the, that's the everything right there. I think for me, I wish this for myself and I would certainly like to throw it out over the fence that we all could be, uh, uh, you know, less fearful, less desirous of being in control, less uh, less dogmatic and hold on to things so tightly, you know. Um, I, I wish we could all develop a higher tolerance for ambiguity and, and uh, the willingness to say, I don't know, or I, you know, I don't, I don't know. We're in a world that says, promise me it's going to be okay. And then, you know, that's, or a world that says, you know, I just want closure, or I just want justice, you know, meaning retributive <laughs> revenge. Um, I wish that we could um, be willing to live in the tension of not knowing what's going to happen next, uh, in, in the tension of paradox, in the, uh, the tension of uh, living by faith. You know, we try to grab it and control it and shape it and twist it, and we delude ourselves into thinking that's going to work. And, uh, you know, I think things crumble and explode a lot. 
Carrie and Julie. Julie's here with us today, too. We are grateful to know both of you, and uh, your friendship has made us better. So thank you. Well, man, I appreciate it. It's always great to hang with y'all and, and an honor to be on the podcast. Harry, I wish we could do this every day. This is so much fun. We do this every day. We oh, just don't record it. Yeah, true. <laughs> and we had some de- delicious treats today. Ooh, did we? Every month. You know, last we month. We had a sponsor. Yeah, we had a fake sponsor last month. This month, we have a real sponsor. Yeah. And we love her. We do. She's our daughter-in-law, and she has some incredible bakery treats that she does from her kitchen, as well as some cuisines from her homeland of the Philippines. It's me, Keith. And we're tagging her in our Instagram and Facebook post. So if you're interested, go ahead and send her a message. It's me, Keith. And Yeah, she has a real knack for making these videos, too. They're, she does. They're fun to watch. But uh, thank you, Keith. You can go to Facebook, It's Me, Keith. And we have a link on our website, too. Uh, yeah. Justoverthefence.com. Yeah. And guess what, Harry? What's that, Maddie? We're almost out of time, but we are going to do this again. We are? Yeah, one month from now. Yay! We have another guest who is very dear to both of our hearts oh my goodness. next month. You want to do the drum roll? Hazel Miller. Yes! Woo! Yeah. Matt has been blessed to play with Hazel over the last decade as an additional keyboardist to her main keyboard player, yeah. Dana Marsh. Yeah, Dana's been her music director for... 30 years, I think. Yeah, they go way back to Kentucky. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's a major blessing to get to play with that crew, with Hazel and that band. So yeah, um, that's going to be fun next month. Yes. That episode will release on July 1st. See you next time. You ready for your readying chair? (laughs) I'm going to head over there. (laughs) Father's Day is coming up. (laughs) See you next month. Just over the fence.